and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Ryan Poles is currently the general manager of the Chicago Bears. Prior to that, he spent 13 years working with the Kansas City Chiefs and helping to build the Super Bowl champion that they are today. And he was heavily involved in the scouting and bringing on the players that you see really dominating the NFL today. So we get a little bit into that in today's conversation, but most of our time is talking about his experience as a general manager. And Ryan also played football at a very high level. He played offensive line for Boston College and his quarterback at the time was Matt Ryan. He then went on to get cut from the Chicago Bears, the team that he actually is a general manager for. Uh, And that sort of led him on his journey, led him on his path to working in the front office. And today's conversation is really about leadership. It's about how do you build a culture, which the Bears are currently doing. And Ryan gives you a behind the curtain look at what he's doing to build this one-time historic 
legacy franchise that is the Chicago Bears. I think you're going to find Ryan to be very transparent, very open, and you don't always get that from people in leadership positions like Ryan. So you're going to love learning from him today. This conversation gets deep, deep, deep into what it takes to build a sustainable organization. And that word sustainable, we discuss uh, really at length throughout today's conversation. So here is Ryan Poles. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Excited to chat with you. I did some prep for this conversation. So I happen to be connected to three different people that know you. And I asked them, hey, what questions would you ask Ryan? And they ranged from why you three putt so often to <laughs> uh, what it's been like to be uh, in the position you've been in for the last 18 months. We're going to lean more toward the 18 months rather than the three putt, because as somebody who's playing golf today, I am not one to be an expert when it comes to how to get people to not three putt. Uh, and I think it'll be more interesting to talk about culture and leadership and what you're building with the bears rather than your golf game. And you can thank Ian for, for that question to kick it off. Um, but let's, let's go here on the leadership front. Uh, before we started recording, you talked about coming back from a leadership summit that your agent Trace Armstrong hosts every year. And you connected me and Trace about a year ago and my conversation with him, it was clear that he thinks differently as an agent. And my conversation with you, it was clear that you think differently uh, in the position that you're in. So can you talk about learning and why you attend things like that leadership summit and why you value your own development and focusing on, on growing yourself. Yeah. I think it's just kind of part of my makeup is that I never feel like I'm there yet. Um, so just staying curious, um, listening to other people's journeys, the lessons they learn, that's a ton of wisdom. It's the same reason why I read books. Um, I want to know things that I don't know. I want to peel back the curtain on, on different, you know, experiences so that I can apply them, you know, when those situations pop up for me. Um, I've pressed my staff here to do the same thing, especially over the summer, stay curious, read books, get a little bit better every single year, um, because I think it's important. Fresh ideas get brought back to the table. And I think that growth mindset is really contagious and, and can really help out, you know, individuals in our organization to become, you know, GMs down the road as well. So I've always enjoyed that uh, that summit with Trace, he is maybe the most curious person I've ever met in terms of wanting to dig deeper on certain topics um, and wanting to enhance decision making for, you know, the, the folks that he represents. So um, it was a great another great one this year. And you meet really good people. I think networking is the other part. Um, I know back in the day, I would just think that if I put my head down and worked, everything would take care of itself. And I learned quickly that you got to lean on people and you got you to let people lean on you to, again, share some of those experiences so you can get better. Where do you think your curiosity comes from? And man, I've been curious since I was a little kid. And I know my, my mom talked about it uh, not too long ago. I would drive them crazy with just like crazy questions and just keep drilling down like stupid things like, you know, where, where do trees come from? And then where does the seed come from? And I would just ask those questions over and over and drive them crazy. So it's just something I naturally have. 
Um, and I don't know. I think sometimes it's a blessing and a curse. There's, there's times where I just don't feel like I'm good enough and I need to know more uh, to get better. It's like that goalpost that just constantly keeps moving that I chase. Sometimes it wears you down. Sometimes uh, I think it's really beneficial to just keep, you know, growing and expanding my view. And you had to make big decisions over the last 18 months in the position that you're in. When do you need to go away from curiosity? And I love that you said, stay curious. I actually have a a sticky note next to me that I'll show you that says, when I do these conversations, it says, stay curious. Uh, And it's like a reminder for me that this job that I have is largely about staying curious, but there's also the need for conviction. And look, you had to, you decided to trade the number one pick in the draft, this last draft. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of curiosity that led to that point, but then pulling the trigger on that requires some conviction, uh, obviously in the quarterback that you have and conviction in the decision-making process that gets you to there. Where do you shift from curiosity to conviction? And what does that look like? And what does that sound like in your head as you make that shift and move maybe away from curiosity and into a decision and then saying, hey, this is the route, this is the path we're going? Yeah. That's a great question. I feel like one, I have a great team, right? So around me, we are very uh, collaborative. Um, so again, that that's the curiosity part. We're putting all this information on the table, taking it from our coaches, taking it from our personnel staff, um, all the research analytics. And then to be honest, Brian, there's always, there's this little trigger that I've always had where it's like, I've, I've checked the boxes, I've gathered all the information, and it's giving me the green light. It's just, and Ian and I talk about it all the time because he asked me the same question. There's something internally that that green light it flips from red to yellow to green, and I can move on conviction, and I'm I'm completely convicted about it, and I feel like I've done all the work. I've gathered the information. Um, it's hard to define it, and I need to define it. That's a challenge um, that's been given to me uh, this off season define that but it's been right now it's been an internal kind of clock of knowing all right i've gathered this information i feel great about it green light go um and i haven't looked back on on that process i just need to lay it out on paper at some point here soon um but i I would say it's internal it's an instinctual thing and I, i i do believe that's what um you know, sports is, is, is that, I think it's gathering the information, the preparation, and then there's that instinct piece that something in your heart and your soul feels right and go. Um, and, and that's what I've leaned on, um, to make those big decisions. I'm going to jump in, uh, and give some thoughts to that. That yeah. might be helpful for you, but I think you talked about growth mindset earlier. We've talked about curiosity to me, if you have a growth mindset, which basically means I'm not there yet, I'm learning, I'm growing, then when it's time to execute, you can actually have a fixed mindset. You've earned the right to affirm yourself. Yeah, Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, this is the right decision based on all the evidence I have. And so I think a lot of people have sort of uh, put growth mindset versus fixed mindset when I actually think they can be embedded together and you earn the right to believe in yourself and affirm yourself by having a growth mindset. And I would say the same thing for conviction. The problem is when we're convicted before we're curious, when we're fixed before we have the growth mindset and in listening to you and knowing you a bit, 
you spend so much time being curious and having a growth mindset that when the decision time comes, you've earned the right to have conviction and you've earned the right to have a fixed mindset. It doesn't mean you're going to be right, but you've done everything in your power, looked underneath every rock and crevice to say, this is the best decision we can make with the evidence that we currently have. And that to me gets lost. And I think people, when they stay in growth or they stay in curiosity and they never shoot their shot, they miss their opportunity. And then the last thing I'll say is I think decisions can be made in the head, the heart and the gut. And so the head is highly analytical, it's logical, and we need that. We need to think of analytics and logic and uh, think of all of the possibilities that could go on there. The heart is about humans and relationship and passion and connection. And then the gut is intuition, like you talked about. And so I'd imagine you probably go through a process where you go through into your head and look at all the possibilities. You go into the heart and think about how's this going to impact our culture? How's this going to impact our relationships? Um, how's this going to impact us in, all, in the long run from a passion standpoint? And then ultimately, when it's time to pull the trigger, I think you're relying on your intuition and your gut. But intuition alone is not a good way to go. But intuition, once you've checked in with your head and your heart, is a really good way to go to go toward action. So does any of that resonate with you as I sort of outline it? I've been battling because I've, I've taken an assessment. We did all of our SVPs. We did assessments and had meetings. And um, I was challenged um, by one of the folks that were running the um, the assessment to, to start to define these things, to start to have these catalogs of, you know, philosophy and, and really boil it down because sometimes, um, you know, you, you take all this information, you have people looking at you and they're like, how did you come to that? And I know I'm convicted, but it's very hard for me to put that in, and define it. And I think you actually, the, the head, heart, and gut actually lays that out perfectly because that's exactly the process that I go through. Um, and and when all, all of those things are kind of checked, again, you're moving with conviction, you feel great about it. Um, you can sleep at night. You're not second guessing yourself. So I think that's that's exactly right. I think the key point of all those three is I think it takes a lot of patience. Um, and again, I think for for folks around you that can probably create some anxiety because I think you have there's times, Ryan, you got to sleep on it. Your emotions, that heart piece all of a sudden might be swaying you and heavily weighted in that, but you got to go through a night of sleep and wake up and, and kind of go through the process again. Like, okay, you know, maybe I was a little bit emotional in the way that I felt about that. I'm going to pull that back a little bit and not act on just the heart. Um, so I, I think that you nailed it with that and that defines it perfectly. Is there one of those that you feel as though you start with? Is there a place you start with the head, the heart or the gut? Uh, the data, the information, opinions, you know, with the head part. Um, I think the hard part for me is always it's that fiber that runs through all of them. I really value people, um, the emotions. How does this affect the locker room? How does this affect the front office? Um, how does this affect short term versus long term? And um, so that's a consistent one that goes through all of it that I'm constantly pushing it against. And maybe that's just the values that we have here. Um, and then that, that guts the green light for me. So um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. You attended a retreat with, with myself. Uh, I co-hosted it with David Epstein 
And David and I, and there was a woman named Grace there who's also been on the podcast. David's been on the podcast. And David, Grace, and I were talking a lot about in preparation for that retreat, how can we get these people to open up and be vulnerable? And we spent a lot of time thinking about that, especially with our sport people that were there. So to give people who are unfamiliar with the concept of our retreat, the idea was to bring sports leaders together with thought leaders. And the thought leaders we weren't as worried about, although we were worried that they were going to grandstand and you know want to speak the whole time and not listen, which did not happen, thankfully. Um, but with the sport people, we were worried about them being vulnerable. And uh, I've been around enough sport people to know that sometimes they can hold things close to the vest and be paranoid for lack of a better word. And maybe we'll get to some of the paranoia that exists in sports and why that may be. But there was a moment in that retreat where you were vulnerable and it was pretty early on. It was actually like right in the first night that we were together in, in the first hour or two. I've been wondering about that because to me, it set the tone for the rest of the retreat. You're a big guy. Uh, people see you and, you know, former offensive lineman. And for you to go vulnerable in a group of some of your peers and then some strangers, I thought was a differentiator for you. And yes, living in your head is huge because you're in a strategy position. But to bring the heart and the vulnerability into that room, to me, is what makes you different and was a separator. Where did you learn about the power of vulnerability? And when did that become something that you felt comfortable leaning into? Yeah, I'd say it goes back to childhood. Um, my parents did a really good job uh, opening the floor up to sharing emotions and feelings. Um, I feel like I, I grew up that way and I probably got, I closed up a little bit and, and wasn't like that um, over the, the full time in Kansas City and learned to just be more open. I've, I've learned to be more open and, and kind of tap back into my roots with that and the way that I was raised, you know, with my own family, um, with my wife, what I, I talked about was going through some postpartum depression and, and it still uh, pops up on her um, every once in a while. And that's, that's really just shown me the importance of just opening up and, and sharing your feelings and talking and, um, and listening. I mean, even when my kids, my son rides back from the stadium to the house and last year was really tough and I shared my emotions. There's times where I, you know, punched the steering wheel there's times where I cried. There's times I was frustrated. I just wanted to get over this hump and win games. And I just talked it out with him. And he didn't say anything. He just listened and watched. But I want him to be able to do the same thing. Just get it off your chest. I think sometimes it's um, the worst thing you can do and it's so toxic is just keep all of that inside of you. Um, so that's just kind of how I've been. Um, and it's enhanced recently. And I think when it came to your summit, I think I walked in there not to, you know, you know, steal the word from you, but I walked in there being intentional that I wanted to get something out of it. And I trusted you and that you were bringing the right people around where I could just express how I felt about certain things or what I've gone through. And, um, to me, that's the only way I can receive is if I show trust and, and let that out as well. So um, I'm glad it helped kick every kick everything off. And it came from you know, the one source where you were probably a little bit nervous for, you know, 
we weren't going to express ourselves. So, um, but yeah, just to kind of recap, childhood kind of brought that in. I probably was a little bit closed in the last, you know, 10 years in Kansas City. And then um, just trying to be more intentional with just opening up, you know, in the house with with my staff here and, and with our players as well. Why do you think you were closed for 10 years when you were in Kansas City? Um, it's a good question. It's a really good question. Maybe just trying to figure it out, you know, trying to figure out my place. You know, I was in in a, a excellent situation. We went from, you know, worst to first kind of. Um, but in my career, I was starting to look to what the next goal was. Um, trying to find my role specifically. Um, you know, pressures at work, probably just keeping that all uptight and and then eventually i think going through my wife's situation and just understanding it's it's important to get things off your chest and express your thoughts and emotions allows you to feel so much better it's a weight that comes off your shoulder so um yeah it's hard to hard to define why i was you know kind of keeping everything in for that that time frame well it's interesting i was just at a conference and they said that by fourth grade, most boys are taught to not show emotion. And uh, men, which you're a leader of mostly men in your organization, in a sport like football, which is more of a yes sir, no sir type of sport, uh, of all the sports I've worked with, I would say highly masculine locker room. I mean, it is whether it's heavy metal or rap music, uh, you get every type of alpha masculine type of human in a, in a violent sport where being big uh, and having swagger can impact performance. And so I'm curious, as you think about leading an organization and building a culture, how are you helping shape how the bears think about emotion and vulnerability and how can we play with emotion without being emotional uh, as football players? And what does that look like on the field? And what does that look like off the field? Uh, you're 18 months into this. Like, how are you helping to shape uh, the bears relationship with emotion? Yeah, we, we attacked this part um, early. So first of all, we have an unbelievable clinician and really just kind of taking the stigma off of, um, spending time with with her and, and getting things off their chest, both, you know, on and off the field. And then uh, double down with a mental skills coach, uh, Mike Wiley, um, for more on-field anxiety and, and preparation and dealing with criticism, things that guys really don't get a lot of in college these days. So we kind of bookend the, the football side, sports side with the just the human element the person with the clinician, uh, with Carla, um, we put them in front of our team in team meetings. They speak on different topics um, so that everyone understands that this is the norm. You know, they're there for you. They're a resource for you. Um, and then the other thing this offseason, we really attacked mind, body, spirit. Um, that's how we did the whole offseason. We went through breathing. We went through, um, you know, sessions where we mixed up the team and they discussed um, their why, why are they doing what they do? What are the things that they, they've gone through? Uh, so we've put that in the front. I think that's important to building um, a winning culture that we have a healthy environment inside this building, both from our staff and from our players. 
Um, so yeah, we've we've been aggressive with that side, and I think that's what makes us a little bit different. You mentioned spirit, and I want to double click on that a little bit. Uh, at your introduct- introductory press conference, the first thing you did was you thank God, and yeah. it's interesting because faith and and God has been woven into sports for as long as I can remember. There's typically people in the locker room who are there that are people of faith. Uh, there's prayers before a game, after a game. Uh, we see people take a knee. Um, like those are elements that we see, especially in let's just focus on football for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirit is a word that can be linked to religion, but doesn't have to be linked to religion. So I'd love for you to just explain a little more about what spirituality means for you and then how you think about spirit when you're running an organization and how to bring that out of your people. Yeah, we we never really define what that is because like you said, it, it can be different for everybody and we're open to that. Um, when we say that, it's really, it's peace. It's internal peace um, so that you can be a great husband, father, um, football player, person in the community. Um, because I think a lot of times, like you talk about that masculinity in, in, in the um, the locker room and football in general, Maddie Rufus actually has a great kind of analogy to it. He said, you can't, if you hold a bow and arrow back all the time, like eventually that, that strains you holding that back. We have to uncork that thing and, and let that resistance off. Um, and we can't walk around with that bow, you know, drawn back all the time. Um, so really having that internal peace, if that's meditation, if that's that's silence, if that's whatever that is for anyone, um, we want everyone to know what their peace is and, and, and how they get there. I think that's kind of the the, the point of that. Um, for me, um, you know, I was raised in the church. Um, really, it was it was something that. Again, it got me to a peaceful place to know that, you know, whatever you're going through, you're going to be all right, Um, that we're not perfect. Um, So, you know, that was always important to me. And that's something we have here, too. We have, you know, uh, Bible study once a week, Um, again, trying to get to that peace and and feel really good internally. So. And John Wooden's definition for success involved peace of mind knowing that you did the best you could with what you had, essentially. You mentioned a tough season last year and you came from Kansas city where you had tough seasons in the beginning, but you got accustomed. I think, I think I even read it. Like you got accustomed to going into games kind of knowing we had a good chance to win by the time you left there. And I'm curious for you, what do you do to find peace of mind? Uh, especially if things are not going the way that you want them to and you're losing. You mentioned hitting a steering wheel or or venting. Um, But what do you do to stay healthy and have peace of mind over the course of a roller coaster of a season? And it's always going to be a roller coaster of a season. It's very rare that you're not going to experience losing in sports. Um, What do you do to seek out peace of mind and keep it all in perspective? Yeah, I I look at again, the journey that we had in Kansas City, and, and I talk often about the stair-step approach um, to sustaining success for a long period of time. Um, I always look at the positive. 
you know, especially after a good night's sleep and you come back to the tape, you're looking at the positive. You're seeing some rookies, you know, out there playing really, really well, um, exceeding expectations. Um, there's, you know, quarterback is, is is making plays and is a playmaker. So really just, you know, going through the pros and the cons and, and leaning on the pros of what, what progress that we're seeing being made. And, and here's a perfect one. The one thing we really leaned on is, is resilience. And we want to have a resilient team. Um, I forget if it was you or someone asked me, how do you, how do you, how are you going to define success if you take wins and losses out of the, out of the equation? And to me, this past year, I said in the very beginning, it's a resilient football team. Um, and we got to about week 16, 17, and I had a beat writer text me and say, hey, it's amazing. You go to practice, you would, you don't know if this is a 10-win team or a, a one-win team in the way that they're enjoying each other, how hard they practice. Um, just the energy on the practice field. And, and to me, like that was the success because as you, as you said, and I lived it in Kansas city, regardless if you're the best team in the league or the worst team, you're going to have adversity. You're going to have hard times. And if you can have part of your foundation being a really resilient football team, to me, that's a, that is progress. Um, over time, we're going to do this thing the right way. We're going to continue to add talent. We're going to add playmakers and we're going to get better from that aspect but the resilient piece has to be a part of your foundation. And when we came away with that, and I felt that from our team and their belief in what we're doing, um, like that was a positive takeaway for me. And that was a goal from the very beginning. So um, just, just leaning on some of those things. I'll send this to you after we finish recording, but I've thought a lot about resilience and I have a formula that I use for it, which is, Grit, which is passion and perseverance for long-term goals, defined by Angela Duckworth at University of Pennsylvania, wrote the book on grit, TED Talk, etc. Yep. I think a lot of times we just stop there and we just say grit equals resilience. I, I don't think that's it. I think grit is foundational mm -hmm. and so is agility. And so agility is actually, no, we're going to find a different way. We're going to be flexible. We're going to be nimble. We're going to look for solutions. We're going to hunt out innovative ways to go about this. It's not actually stick-to-itiveness. Right. It's the ability to adjust and adapt and, and be flexible. So I think those are like the two big components is the ability to keep going and keep going with an open mind and an open heart to try to find a different way. And then it's multiplied by that idea of a growth mindset, which we hit on earlier, which is we're yeah. not there yet. We're still learning and growing. And I think if you combine those three, then you get to something that looks like a resilient individual and then ideally a resilient team. So if that's helpful for you, I'll send it to you. And it's just adds some more color to what resilience is. Um, it's interesting as I think about our conversation and we, we start thinking about the culture that you're building in Chicago. I'm curious about what is different about being in Chicago or being with the bears that is different than what you experienced when you were in Kansas city uh, and in a different culture in a different city. I mean, you just think about the two cities, Chicago is kind of the monster of the Midwest. As far as cities go, uh, yeah. you've got this historic, they're both historic franchises, but the Bears have this history, especially in the 80s, and an identity that came with that. Um, and the Chiefs 
historically as well, but I feel like they sort of established a new identity uh, with coach Reed and, and how they were doing things with, with Patrick Mahomes. Do you think about identity and how do you think about that linking to the city that you're in and, and what you try to build? Is it important? Is it not important? How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's really important that you can feel the, the weight of this city and this fan base is um, it's huge. It is heavy compared to now I wasn't sitting in the seat in Kansas city and I know that the fans are extremely passionate. Um, they absolutely are. Uh, but this, this is different. It feels different. Um, the intensity is, is greater here. And it's a, it's a, it's a city and a fan base just starving for success. Um, they want their team back. Um, they know even with the bulls having their dynasty, um, the Cubs, the White Sox, all of the teams, Blackhawks, it's a Bears town, and you can feel that. Um, the one the one thing I was not ready for, to be honest with you, is a blind spot is, I mean, I walk around and there's more people. I've always put players on a pedestal, not really the front office, um, and I get more requests for selfies and getting chased through targets than I ever thought I was going to be, um, which is cool uh, because, again, they're passionate about their football team and they believe in, in me and what we're doing in, in our entire organization. So that's exciting. But, yeah, we I think that identity, to we tap into that. We want a, you use the word grit, like, just that old school, gritty, tough football team. Um, we want that back. I think that's part of the city. You can't get to the playoffs, you know, in Chicago without playing, you know, in cold, just nasty weather in December and January. So if you don't have a team that has that quality to it, um, it's going to be hard to survive. You can't ask for, you know, post playoff games and then it's, you know, the environment and the, the weather is terrible and, and you crumble under that. Like you have to take that on and, and embrace it. Um, so that that definitely is a part of what we're trying to build here. And, and, and the, one of the core pieces is just that tough old school Chicago football team and, and, and locker room. And we're heading that that way, which is great. So, um, yeah, and I think the other topic with that is just, the, the weight of this city and, and the pressure. And I think you have to be very convicted with your plan um, because in a vacuum, I think everything, everyone wants to win today and to do it the right way. It doesn't happen in, in one season, um, in one off season, in one draft, it takes time to do it the right way. And oftentimes I feel like I'm, was a Mel Gibson in Braveheart where he's like sitting there yelling hold while everyone's sprinting at at you. You're 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 just holding and being convicted of what you're doing, regardless of the noise and, and what it looks like you're about to take on. So um but the cool thing is that I, I feel like I was prepared for that part of it. And um, you know, I'm convicted with the way that we're doing it and not gonna panic and do things that are gonna harm us just because of pressure. I was talking to an executive. I was coaching an executive yesterday and I said, you know, in business, the game you're playing is infinite. Like there, you can always get new clients. There's always something else that pops up and you can continue to build. I mean, look at 
like Meta just rolled out threads to compete with Twitter. They just created that and now have a whole new opportunity to pursue, right? Uh, artificial intelligence comes around and now, you know, uh, Microsoft has a whole new platform to play in to create winning for them. I think I saw Apple's now worth like $3 trillion or something, yeah. right? It's infinite as far as where it can go sports while you can certainly add value to your organization for ownership etc it's really about winning and um there is a finite amount of time you have to win war like you're talking about in braveheart is finite you either win or you lose some wars feel infinite but there is kind of a winning or a losing that typically takes place but forget about war for now if we just compare sports and business there's this finite element that exists in sports where you have a season and you're judged by your record and you can yep. complain about the refs all you want and injuries all you want. But at the end of the day, all that fan base that you're talking about cares about is did you win the Super Bowl? And if you think about it, and I'm going to bring in a question that I wasn't planning to ask you, but I think it's an interesting way to think about what is success you know, you got like a 3% chance of winning on the Super Bowl. Like it is a very, very small chance of winning in your sport, at least the holding up the final trophy, which is over your right shoulder uh, and you have in your office there. Um, I was watching something yesterday and I was actually with a Bears fan and a Washington Commanders fan. And I grew up in DC as a like lifelong Washington, <laughs> we called it something else, but a Washington football fan. Yep. And it's interesting because both the fan bases in some ways are are similar. You know, they're, they're, they're big markets. They're uh, steeped with tradition and history. Chicago, I feel like has stayed with the bears. Perhaps Washington has not. That's a story for another day, but I know that this city loves their football and everywhere I go, if they become relevant again, it will rise up again and that stadium will get rocking again. And so someone posed this question. It was actually a Washington fan and a Chicago fan. And they said, would you rather win one Super Bowl in the next 15 years, but have no success the other 14 years? Or would you rather go to 15 Super Bowls and lose them all? And so you get there 15 years, you're good every year. You win all kinds of NFC championships, but you don't actually climb the final peak uh, or you get to climb the final peak, but maybe it's a flash of the pan. You load up with talent and you win one. Um, and I think it's an interesting question from a success standpoint and how we think about success. Does do either of those resonate with you? Is there one of those that that you think of, or is that just an unfair question that we don't really have an answer to? Uh, this is a tough question. I will say this: I spent some time with Bill Polian over the last two years. And um, he was actually on a panel at one of the events I was at, and someone asked him a very similar question. You forget how hard it is to win in this league and how big of an accomplishment it is to win an AFC or NFC championship. Uh, the ultimate goal is the Super Bowl. It always will be. Uh, that's the pinnacle. But I think to sustain success for that long at the very top, um, it's a huge accomplishment. I, I really struggle with flash of the pan. <clears throat> I think you create damage that way long-term. Um, I think it's a shortcut. 
I, I'm a sustained success for a long period of time. Now, if we go to Super Bowl 15 times in a row, I guarantee you we'll win one of them. So, <laughs> um, but to me, to my core, sustaining success is is the challenge. Um, the pinnacle, there's nothing better than what a Super Bowl. There's nothing better than what it does to your city. But when you're knocking on that door every single year, you're doing something right. You're making good decisions. You have a healthy locker room. You have a healthy organization that's not fractured with ego and pride when you get to the top. Um, so it is, at the end of the day, the goals of Super Bowl always will, will be hunting that. But to me, you know, I would actually choose the second one, which is to be going to 15 Super Bowls in a row, even if we lost 15 Super Bowls in a row, because I think that is like historical and you, you're winning for us. It'd be, we're winning that FC championship over and over and over again. We're winning our division over and over and over again. Um, I'm sure that would eat me alive if we couldn't get over the hump, but uh, I'm after sustained success and doing things the right way for a very long period of time and having really good people around. And I think to do that, that's the only, only way you can get that done. And you do have a replica of the Lombardi trophy over your right shoulder. So what's the reasoning for having that in your office? Uh, it looks like it's front and center. Uh, you've got helmets. I see the BC helmet. I'm assuming yeah. it's maybe a high school football helmet over there. I see pictures. I see all kinds of stuff. But the thing that stands out in this conversation, if I'm looking over you, is the replica trophy. Why do you put that in the office? What's the reason for that being there? Yeah, it's it's a reminder of a goal. It's a reminder of excellence. Um, making decisions that are going to get us in position to be champions. Um, I also, I'll never forget just the feeling on that parade day when we turned down the main street there and just seeing an entire city and fan base from the street up to the top of parking garages for miles and the joy that it brought to the city. And, um, you know, unfortunately COVID hit right after that, but it, it, it changed the vibe of the entire city. People came together. Um, and, and that's what I want to do here in Chicago. Um, it's needed. Um, the fan base is hungry for it. So it's just, it's putting that goal right right front and center. I also have a couple other things. I have my brick for our foundation, building the foundation. I got a little hard hat for putting the work in, you know, to get things done the right way. So, um, yeah, just reminders of sticking to the process and, and hopefully it leads to to one of those. You mentioned Ken. You mentioned Kansas City, and I know people ask you all the time, hey, what was it like scouting this quarterback uh, coming out of Texas Tech? And uh, what did you see and what did you notice? I'm actually not going to ask you about that when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to ask you about someone else because mm -hmm. I remember when Travis Kelsey was coming out and um, I knew an agent and the agent was like, oh, yeah, he's got all kinds of issues. <laughs> um, and he was suspended for a year at Cincinnati, I think, for marijuana. And his older brother was, you know, already like doing some things successfully in the NFL. Um, and I watched an interview recently where Andy Reid was talking about both guys, because obviously, you know, I think he brought uh, J Coach Jason in Philadelphia and then, you know, was part of 
your decision, the team's decision to draft Travis. But those two guys are very different in some ways. I think they're pretty open with their podcast now. And then similar in other ways. But it was clear that Travis um, was a unique guy. They're both unique personalities. But like the, the reason I'm curious about Travis, and you can answer it more generally if you want, is I'm always curious about how teams decide if somebody is going to help their culture or hurt their culture, because mm-hmm. with Travis, I mean, I remember his preseason touchdown when I think it was like a 69 yard play. I I'm in a fantasy football. So I I'm like, I I'm watching on like the NFL network or something in the background. And I look up and I see this six, five human just running out running like safeties and cornerbacks like it's nothing and i'm like who's that dude and like i think pretty quickly the nfl realized who that dude was so i i, I struggle like and i've been in war rooms and i've been around teams like how do you make the decision on what does align with your culture even if there's some red flags along the way clearly it's worked out with him in kansas city um and and, and so you can use him as an example but how do you think about what is a red flag? What is a yellow flag? What is a green flag? Like, how do you think about red lighting, yellow lighting, green lighting when it comes to human beings and the character you want in your locker room while knowing that every human makes mistakes when they're 18, 19, 20 years old and is imperfect as well? Yeah, I I think one thing I've learned about gathering information is at the end of the day, you got to spend time with the player or the prospect. Um. And if, if you have a good kind of uh, instinctual meter about people, you'll know, is it just, is it maturity or is it, is this person kind of have a, um, you know, repetitive behavior that doesn't exist, you know, or shouldn't exist in, in your facility? Um, is it someone that's really struggling to get out of his own way over and over again? Uh, who's behind them? What's the situation? How do they, how do they, what led to them making those mistakes? Um, asking them about it. Is there a sense of ownership? Yeah, that's on me. I messed up. I put myself in a bad position. I lost my way rather than it's their fault and their fault and this person's fault. And so I think to me, it's, it's, if there's some red flags, you're looking for ownership of it and, and, and really understanding, all right, what changes have you made or, or are you going to make that are going to lead to, you know, better results? Um, the other one is is passion for the game that they play um, because they know that if if they have success, the only thing that's going to mess it up or derail it is repeating a mistake or, or doing something that can take football away. And I knew with Travis and our staff knew that he was very passionate about football. He wanted to be great and was going to put the work in and wasn't going to do something to mess it up. And then the relationship piece through that whole process. And obviously Coach Reed had that relationship with his brother, Jason. <clears throat> I remember him on the phone. He's like, are you going to screw this up or not? And right from, from right off the jump, there was a relationship where he wasn't going to let Coach Reed down. So he created that bond, created that relationship. There was some trust there and, and they built off of that. So um, passion for the game people just being able to read people and, and really ownership of those past mistakes are what, what I'm looking for. You mentioned passion for the game. Mm-hmm. I've worked with college football teams and I, I remember 
I, I met with a lot of these guys at a division one, you know, big football program. And I would ask them, do you love the game? And I'm hesitating because a lot of times there would be a hesitation. Yeah. When I'd work with big time division one basketball players or hockey or uh, soccer, like there wasn't that hesitation most of the time, but in football, I call it a pain sport. Uh, I think football, American football, wrestling, cross country, um, swimming, gymnastics, uh, tennis is actually a pain sport. All of these sports that are physically like very demanding on your body and they hurt to play. Rowing is another one like crew. There's also like a mental and emotional component to all these sports where you're on an Island. And if yeah. you screw up, it's yeah. on you, right? You're a tackle and the quarterback gets sacked. Like you watch the film. It's you, right? Same with a, a runner or a tennis player. Like there's no hiding in these sports, gymnastics, you get pinned. Like you got pinned. There's some embarrassment and shame and masculating stuff that goes on in these sports. And in football, I, I was always interested to learn. Cause you could hear someone say, I'm doing this to, to take care of my family. And that can be part of it. There's nothing wrong with that being part of it, but if that's it, it you're, you're going to miss something there. And so for you, how do you suss out that passion? How do you find out if they love it? Because you know it um, in college, there's 105 guys, the amount of them that actually love it. Um, it's, it's, it's not 105. And I bet if we go in NFL locker rooms, um, the amount of them that love it, uh, you can find guys who have made a lot of money and have had nice careers, but do they love it? Uh, I think a lot of them don't uh, because it's, it's so demanding on your mind and your body. Like it, it's hard to love it. Um, it's not as easy to love it as a sport like basketball or sort of like sport like soccer. Those are more creative, fluid uh, sports that also are not as hard on your body. Soccer can be hard on the body, but you get what I'm saying. How do you suss out the passion and, and find that and seek it out and, and discover that? Yeah. To me, the body language both in the interview process and on the field, you, you can see that the sport, all of those things you said are completely true. It is hard. There's days where you, I mean, I remember getting up for a training camp where we had two pattern practices in one day and you take a nap in between your, and you feel your body and like, man, am I going to go do this again? Like, how am I even going to get through this? Um, and you question it at times, but does it bring you joy? Like when you're actually playing the game, does it bring you joy? And I feel like you can see that in body language in the way that people play. The other one is when you interview someone and they have joy about it and they're passionate about it, like they shift, like in our combine meetings, they shift to the very edge of their seat. They're watching their film. You're asking about it and they're saying, you put up the, the scoreboard and start the play and you're Oh, like, man, I wish I could do this one again. You're like, what are you talking about? We haven't even finished the play. He goes, I remember this. It was, it was, you know, two minutes left, fourth quarter versus Clemson. I dropped the ball or I turned left instead of turning right. And I could have won the game or got the first down to, to lock it up. And you can feel it come out of them. Like it's, it's different than like, yeah, yeah, another play. Yeah, I wish I could have that one back. Like you can, you can feel the passion jump out of the ones that really care and love it. Now, I do think there's levels to it. 
I do think there's some very talented players that can be successful that like it, you know, like a lot, like it. Um, so I think the love thing is at the as a, is at the top where you feel that joy. Then there's another level where God gave him a gift to perform and to you know run fast, catch a ball, throw it, whatever. Um, and it's a, a way to the next step um, in life or financial freedom or opening other doors to where they want to go. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think for building a football team, you, you want as many guys where when they go out to practice or a game, it's like recess where they're doing backflips out and they can't wait to get off the field and play with their friends. So um, definitely levels to it. You are right, though. This game is very difficult. It's hard. There's set, setbacks. There's injuries. Um, it is not easy. So I do think if you can load up on those guys that, that have a passion for it, you know, you're going to be successful. So that's what we look for. Some of those guys that have red flags as well as, you know, is the game going to be more important than the flashy lights that can potentially take the game away from you? So. Yeah. There's something called emotional contagion, which suggests that if we get uh, enough people around that share some emotion, let's just use passion as an example, then they're going to infect the people around them. And the opposite is also true. Like if you have a bunch of negativity and look, we'll just use our cities as an example. There's a lot of skepticism that comes with the football teams in Chicago and Washington and that yeah. noise can impact them. And I remember I visited you uh, in the practice facility and I'm, I'm literally eating in your cafeteria and I'm watching the NFL network and all they're talking a bit about is how bad the bears are going to be this year. Like that, that negative emotional contagion can take over and can change people's perspectives on what's possible for an organization. Skepticism, cynicism can creep in and all of a sudden you can, you can lose the culture. And so we use that word culture all the time, but emotional contagion is to me what culture is. And you know it, when you see it, you can feel it when you're in there and there's a belief there. So emotional contagion is a phrase that I love because it speaks to what's possible if we're rowing the boat in the same direction. And then the other thing that I love to do when I've been in combines and interviewed players, uh, I've done it in the NBA, I've done it in Major League Soccer, I've done it in the NHL, is when they say that they love it. Like, I always love to ask, well, what do you love about it? And there's three main things that I'm looking for. I'm looking for they either love the competition. Like there is nothing like competing in sports and I don't care if I'm playing Wednesday night in my old man pickup basketball game. Like, do I love that competition? I do. Um, or are you playing golf? Do you love competing? Like, tell me about your competitive spirit and do you love competing? Cause sports can give you competition. Like nothing else can yep. improvement or that growth mindset piece. Like, do you love just getting better? And that's what you're talking about. Watching film. Are they loving? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get that right. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get better. If you have guys that have that desire and they love the opportunity to improve. Once again, sports is a platform where you can actually see your improvement. You can measure your improvement. A lot of other industries, it's a lot harder to do that. And then the last thing I look for, do they love, do they love collaboration? Do they love being part of something bigger than themselves? Because we all know there are guys that love to compete, but they don't love to collaborate. And in your sport, I didn't realize this till I worked with it. Cause I didn't play when I was a kid. There are, really two separate locker rooms when you go to a football team. There's the offensive side and the defensive side. Of course, you have special teams as well, but 
Like I didn't realize at halftime, the team I worked with, the offensive side went to one side, the defensive side went to the other. And by the way, if the defensive side isn't carrying the weight, they're going to hear from the offensive side. If the offensive side isn't carrying their weight. The defensive side is, and it's very tribal and it can get into highly competitive mode. And I think most teams do a great job of competing. Do they collaborate? When I've had football players on this podcast, that's the question I ask. And when I've had Super Bowl winners, uh, whether it's Tory Smith or Matt Stover, we've had on guys who have been in Super Bowl cultures like the Ravens with Ray Lewis. They would talk about how Ray would go onto the offensive side and collaborate with them and help them and instead of work against them. Um, so if you think about competing, improving, and collaborating, is there one of those that you really prioritize that you think can unlock the others? Um, or are you trying to embed all three into the culture and how, how you think about collaborating, competing, and improving? Yeah, I think it's it's really all of them. Um, is what we're we're looking for. Uh, but I think you know that we're doing a little series right now. Um, it'll go through training camp, but guys that had won Super Bowls on our staff or on our team present what were the key characteristics of those teams. And the one thing that has come up over and over again was the fact that they had each other's back. And that that talks to either another player on the offensive side or the offense, the defense, defense to the off or offense, where if something bad happened, you could literally feel, Hey, I got your back. We're going to go get this ball back for you guys. So you can give it another shot. Um, so I, I think that collaboration piece is, is kind of the special sauce to get over the hump. Um, and, and you got to build relationships and trust, you know, um, to get to that point. So it takes a little bit of time. Um, but yeah, all, all three, the competitive every single day, every practice we're talking about, you know, put in certain situations where we're competing. If it's a two minute drill, if it's a, you know, third and long, third and short, um, you know, we'll make you guys do pushups and, you know, or run gas or whatever, but it's for something and you can feel the energy rise up when you create those situations where, where the guys are competing. So, um, Definitely a collection of all, all three of those. I think good teams compete and improve. I think great teams compete, improve, and collaborate. And the collaboration piece is not often a focal point in business or in sports enough. I think we talk about competing, winning your job, competing against each other every day. We talk about getting better and improving. I'm not sure we talk enough about the power of collaboration. I'm thinking of remember the Titans and, you know, when, the, when the offensive and the defensive come together and we've got blacks and whites and, and there's like, you know, strong side, right? the, the Brashear and they're going through it. And um, there's that scene where they start to come together and collaborate and realize that they're going to do it together. And sports is a team sport. It, it, you know, football is a team sport. There are other sports that might be individual and, so I'm always thinking, or I've been thinking about it now. I hear great cultures talk about competing and improving. And I'm curious as to like, how can we get them to collaborate? Like what is underneath that? What leads to that? And you mentioned like trust, respect, you know, communication. Like these are the hallmarks of relationships. Yeah. And like, I, I'm always curious at how you can facilitate that in a professional organization, because the reality is, it is, there is a business side. There is like, 
I want your spot because I can earn more money for put food on my, my table for my family in a professional setting. What are ways that you can get the team to really focus on collaboration? Yeah. Well, I think that the, the hardest part of professional sports with collaboration is the team changes every single year, right? You can't keep everyone for the next year. So I think how it's so important. That's what we're doing right now is how can we create this core how, how can we create a core group that is going to be here for a little bit that can start to collaborate? Like you can take the front office and the coaches out of it and they're collaborating with each other. Uh, if that's break and break going to have dinner, if that's taking trips, if, if it's spending off season time together, like a lot of it, because we're so restricted with, again, players coming on and off the roster, we're restricted with how much time we have in the off season. Um, that is the biggest challenge. And that's probably why you don't hear much about it. Uh, I know we started, um, we have a little uh, team retreat every year where we blend the team up. We go down to the Cubs, we go down to Wrigley, and we have this competition, home run derby to stacking cups. We went to the Bulls. We had a three-point shooting contest. We had hot shot, like the whole all-star thing. And then we eat together as a group and it's it's taking the small amount of time that we have and, and pushing our team together to collaborate. We mix it up. There's no offensive defense. It's just your teams. We, we put teams together. Um, so really it's time on task and time with each other to build those relationships. But if you're not intentional with it, you don't do it. Um, it it's really hard. And really, I think you you then toss it up to how does the season start? You know, are you going to have success or not? Because after the first month of your old four, all of a sudden that collaboration starts to break down because you didn't build it before. So it's not going to withstand some some early trials in the very beginning. So um, we try to stay intentional about it. We try to come up with with different events to bring the guys together. And then the beautiful thing is what I've noticed once you do that and we are intentional about it when as a as an organization and a staff, you back away they start to do it on their own and spend time with each other. So then when they're in the moments that they have each other's back, that there's trust built already before you even get to that adversity. Yeah. It's almost like if you combine the resilience that you were talking about earlier with collaboration. So how can we, we be resilient, collaborative. And Mm -hmm. if you combine those two words, then you really get to something unique and special. I think about hero ball and basketball and how players at the end of the game will say, give me the ball and let me just do it myself. And instead of making the right play at the right time, and uh, you're in Chicago and uh, you're around my age. So we all remember Michael Jordan passing the ball to Paxson or passing the ball to Steve Kerr. LeBron has been the type of guy who, will make the right play at the right time and get criticized for it sometimes. But um, that's part of what's made him, him one of the best players of all time. And so I think of how can you reduce hero ball and make it collaborative, especially when your back's against the wall, that's when you need that resilient collaboration. Uh, I want to close with, there's a quote that you used in your press conference. When you got to Chicago, your parents taught you this idea of you got to go through something to be something And so here you are, y'all went through something last year. um, And one of the questions that was posed uh, to you from my sources was, what has he learned over the last 18 months that he didn't know before he was in the seat that he's in 
what what what's changed about how you approach being a general manager today than it was when you weren't the general manager in Kansas City? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I would say man, it's people. Uh, it comes down to people. It's investing time with people. Like I did a little questionnaire with our players and, you know, what do you need from me? What do you need from me? What do you need from this organization to help you get over the edge? And it was interesting. The feedback was like, hey, we want to see you down in the locker room or we want to see you in the training room. Um, we want to spend more time with you so you're around and kind of build that that trust with you because it's very hard. You get you go to your office and there's a thousand things coming your way that you got to solve because at the end of the day, this job, you can call it general manager if you want, but you're, you're a problem solver. That's what you are for the organization. So um, you get caught up in, in that a lot. So my biggest adjustment is going to continue to to improve the the relationship part of, of what I do. Um, I think I needed to do some of those things this first year to get it off the ground. Um, but now I need to really enhance those relationships and be around the guys a lot more. So that's a big adjustment that I'm going to make. The other one's just it's it's balance um, with my family, with my staff. Um, spending more time, you know, down in, in the different hallways with with my crew. Um, again, not getting so stuck up in this office trying to figure everything out um, that's coming my way and taking a thousand meetings. So those are the adjustments that I have to make this this upcoming season for sure. You're you're pretty open about sleeping at the facility for your first draft and how exhausting that was and that it probably needed to be done for that first draft, but that you don't want to replicate that anymore. You talk about problem solving being your job. What do you need to be a great problem solver? Uh, going back to, you know, the start of, of what you were just saying was a, a clear mind. Um, you, you walk into this job where you are so far behind when you take a GM job, the, the timing of it's, it's, it's actually crazy. You know, you, you get the job in, in January, February, um, and everything is on the doorstep for agency, the draft. Um, so you lack balance. Um, and to me, the more clear I am and more balanced, I, the more balanced I am, the more clear I am about decision-making and, um, balancing, you know, different opinions and thoughts, um, the data we talked about, and really going back to our head, heart, and gut, um, having clarity on all three of those. Uh, because when you lack sleep, um, you're not eating right, you're not getting your exercise, um, it's hard to tap into all of all really those three things with with clarity. So um, that's that's definitely the goal for this upcoming year is to to get that part right from from my perspective. Um, cause that part broke down a little bit. I felt like it was everything else except taking care of myself to, um, have as much clarity on those three things to make sound decisions as possible. So what boundaries are you putting in place to make sure that you're healthy? Yeah. Uh, it goes back to your calendar, which I have to be intentional with that, that there's, there's me time. Um, and it sounds, and it feels selfish. For me to say that, but I need to to block off time for me. Uh, I talked to a good friend, uh, Andrew Barry, who's a GM in in Cleveland, and you know he was saying between I think it's like twelve and twelve thirty or twelve and one, you know it's locked down. And he'll even move away from his desk, and if it's not a workout, he'll sit in a chair and have quiet time, you know, just to reset for the next half of the day. 
Um, so really just putting those things in the calendar and sticking to it with discipline um, to get that done. You know, it's interesting. I was, I, I was just at this conference and I was learning a lot. And one of the things they talked about was movement and how good movement is for your brain. And mm -hmm. even if it's a 10 minute walk, just move. And yesterday, of course, I come back from the conference. I looked at my, my step count on my phone and I had like 281 steps yeah. by, by five o'clock. And my kids happen to be home. It's a hot, humid summer day in Washington. So we went outside and we started playing soccer. Then we played hockey. Then I was like, all right, let's run laps. And we just started running laps. We all took our shirts off. We were like sweating. And I got to like 6,000 steps just from like that little exercise. But at this conference, it got me thinking, we have recess for our children and we give them this space to go run around so that they can then learn and so that they can experience playing games and, and creativity and problem solving on a field instead of in a classroom. And it got me thinking like, why don't we create recess for our businesses? Like, why don't we take, you know, 30 minutes to go, Hey, just go do something active, whether it's a walk, whether it's lifting weights, whether it's, you know, getting on the elliptical or the bike or whatever it is, but we don't, uh, carve out time for movement and what would it look like for us to have more clarity in our mind if we carved out that time every day to just say go do something for 30 minutes um like why do you think we don't carve out space for movement in our day but we might carve it out to eat uh we carve it out to tweet we carve it out to do all these other things why don't we carve out recess uh in the professional world i think it's time i think we're just wired that there's only so much time in the day. I think we all know what those really productive days look like. And it, it, I mean, you start early in the morning and boom, all of a sudden it's six, seven o'clock at night. And you're like, where did the time go? Um, so then you don't, do you feel like if you take that hour away that all of a sudden you're not going to have as much time to get that work done. Um, and it's always like, there's a, there's a clock on us. So, of how quick we, we need to get things done. Um, the interesting thing is when I've been in the groove and you are intentional about getting that movement in, you're way more productive in that time that you have. Um, it's just psychologically, I think it, we kind of get twisted up where it's like, I got to be at my desk getting all of these things done today. Um, but really, you're not being as efficient as you could be. Um, if you have a, a clear mind for getting out and moving around and you have to be intentional about it. I mean, I know that if I come in the office, if I don't go straight to my locker and then straight to the weight room um, where I actually have just joined to orange theory, which I, I really enjoy because you get locked in this box for 60 minutes and there's no phone, there's nothing, you are gone and it's 60 minutes and you're going to sweat and you have a goal. So you're competing and you see your splat points. And when you, when you leave, drenched you feel great you get into work and you crush it um but i know if i come in this room and i sit down i put my computer on the dock and open up the old outlook it is over i get sucked into it and i'm onto a task and and then all of a sudden it's seven o'clock at night and you want to get home and see your kids before they go to bed and you haven't had you have 200 steps so really again you got to be intentional with setting up your calendar and, and, and carving that time out to get it done and and really a path for you to make sure you get it done. So 
All right. I promise we're going to close. We could talk all day. I think when I came to visit you, we had like 45 minutes blocked off and I ended up spending like a half day with you and having fun uh, with you and your assistant GM, Ian, who who I've referenced and you've referenced in this conversation. Uh, but Brant Tillis is who introduced us originally. And yeah. I asked Brant, hey, what do you think uh, I should ask Ryan? And he said, you know, every summer, Ryan would come back with like one idea that he was percolating on, working on in the summer and um, that we could use and leverage for the year. Um, is there a favorite idea that you've worked on in the summer that stay, has stayed with you? Or is there something that you're really thinking about right now? You referenced the assessment earlier and and thinking about our decision-making process. Is, is that what your main focus is this summer? Or is there something that you are currently implementing that you've come up with from your off season of, of learning? Um, I would say just continuing this off season, just continuing to mastering the decision-making process and enhance um, our analytic team. Um, there's so much data, internal, external data that's being processed um, and we do not have enough people and tools to get that done. Um, so we're in the process of enhancing that so that we can really have kind of the scientist, scientific approach um, well-developed to challenge our thoughts and our ideas to make sure that we're making good decisions because you can come up with a good idea, um, but I, I really want to know what history says about it. You know, does it work? Does it not work? Um, so I want to be able to kind of throw those ideas against the analytic wall to see if they stick or do they slide off and we got to recalculate or, you know, rethink about what we're, what we're trying to do. So um, that's really the big one this off season. Um, the other one is just high end communication, um, making sure that there's certain oversights and teams put together for all the different departments so that we're running really, really smooth this year. I think year one um, or really in that year and a half mark, we were trying to just get things running. And, and now I want to run efficiently. I want the communication to be top notch. Um, I'd say the, the one of the big challenges is also I don't want issues in different departments to fester for a long period periods of time because people are like, oh, you're busy, you know. And I, I I've even talked to my family about that. You're busy. We don't want to bother you. That's cool, but then you're going to give me a huge problem 12 months from now that I got to figure out. So I'd rather get hit with it early. So making sure those channels are, are open to catch wind or have conversations about challenges in different spaces um, to clean up before that little flake of snow turns into a massive snowball. Um, so that's what we've we've kind of looked into this offseason and, and try to clean up. And I'm excited to see how it works out as we move forward. I don't know if this will be helpful for you, but when we do talks on communication, we talk about the three A's and I like simple and, and stupid stuff. I think it's, it's very actionable if it's simple and stupid, but uh, the three A's are assumptions, assessments, and assertions. Uh, and as I hear you talk about analytics and I hear you talk about communication, the bridge of those are how do we move from an assumption to an assertion? And a lot of us live in this world of assumptions you know, every single day, we assume that we don't, someone doesn't want to be bothered. We assume that someone knows that we love them. 
we assume that uh, our partner knows that we're trying to do what's best for our family. We make all these assumptions every single day and assumptions ruin relationships um, and, and they deteriorate cultures and organizations. It's really where bitterness and resentment live. So if we move from assumption to assertion, the only way I've found to get there is through assessment and assessment requires great curiosity, asking questions. Hey, Ryan, would you rather me give this to you now or or just hold off? Like that's, that's an assessment, Um, you know, take an analytic concept and, you know, should we go for it on fourth down? Let's go assess the history of whether or not we should go for it on fourth down so that we can get to the truth, which is the assertion. All right. Well, when we go for it on fourth down, it's a 62% chance of getting it. And it's worth that. I'm not an analytics guy, so I can't speak that language, but let's get to the truth of what the risk reward is and get to an assertion. And it's the same thing that you got to, Hey, I'd rather you bring it to me now than bring it to me three months from now when it becomes toxic and something that can become cancerous within an organization. So now I know Ryan's truth. That's his assertion. And so assessments, sorry, you start with assumptions, you move from assumption to assessment and through assessment, you can get to the assertion. And so whether it's the analytics department or it's your leadership team and your senior VPs, how can you get really good at assessing to find out what the truth is and what the assertion is either from a relationship standpoint or from a number standpoint. So the three A's are to me, like what's key to communication and assumptions being death and assertions being uh, life. And that's what we have to try to work with. Um, Ryan, I I can't tell you how grateful I am that we were introduced. Um, We had our retreat last year. Uh, This year, David and I said, let's hold off on it for a year. Um, but we hope to do it in the future and uh, hopefully you'll be there as we continue to all learn together. Um, grateful to have you in my life. Excited to see what y'all do this year. I know there's been a lot of change in that locker room. I'm sure people are excited in Chicago. And even though I'm a Washington DC born and bred guy, I find myself cheering for amazing people in sports all the time. So I will be cheering for the Chicago bears this year as well. Um, thank you so much for your time. We could talk forever. I got like 12 more questions, but uh, I respect your time too much to give you more questions. So thanks for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug? It could be a nonprofit. It could be something that you're passionate about um, away from Chicago. Obviously people can find the Chicago bears, just Google them. You can find social media, you can find the website, but is there something else you want to bring attention to uh, as we close today? Uh, what we got going on uh, for our second year, and I, and I really want this to get uh, bigger as we get going. Um, we're doing what we call scout school. It's not, not just for, you know, scouting only, um, but we're bringing kids from the Chicago area um, up to House Hall just to learn about the different jobs that are available within football. Because I think a lot of times we say, you know, you know, to make it out or you have success, you got to be a player. And I was one of those people. I, my goal was to be a player and NFL player for a long time. That didn't happen. Um, but I still work in the sport that I absolutely love. Um, so we, we're bringing some of the kids up just to expose them to the different jobs. If it's PR, um, if it's the training room, if it's, you know, if they love numbers, it's it's uh, the analytic team, technology for our tech team. Um, and expose them to the different jobs. We're going to have a panel 
Uh, we're going to have them watch practice, grade a little bit of the practice when, and watch different positions. Um, so we did this in the summer. We're going to do one in the um, during training camp. Um, and eventually just want to grow this to be something that's that's big. I want to give kids hope and, and understanding that there's other job opportunities and pathways to being in sports. Um, and I, I think that's important. So um, nothing really to plug in terms of just making awareness of, of that program that we've started. This will be our second one. And we just want to get it to where it's it's something that we can maybe have all over the country with the different teams, um, but definitely starting in Chicago and, and want to see it grow. Awesome. Well, I am on Twitter at Brian Levinson, LinkedIn at Brian Levinson, and you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Brian, I will see you soon. Thanks so much for giving us your time today and enjoy some time also to decompress and learn and connect with your family and, and connect with yourself as well this summer. Will do. Great to see you. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I'll never forget just the feeling on that parade day when we turned down the main street there and just seeing an entire city and fan base from the street up to the top of parking garages for miles and the joy that it brought to the city. And, um, you know, unfortunately COVID hit right after that, but it, it, it changed the vibe of the entire city. People came together um, and, and that's what I want to do here in Chicago. Um, it's needed. Um, the fan base is hungry for it. So it's just, it's putting that goal right right front and center. I also have a couple other things. I have my brick for our foundation, building the foundation. I got a little hard hat for putting the work in, you know, to get things done the right way. So um, yeah, just reminders of sticking to the process.